0: This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Welcome to Dishy Mix. I'm your host, Susan Bratton, and I'm super excited because on today's show, you're going to get to meet someone I dearly adore and have for many years. His name is Eric Schwartzman. Eric is an online marketing consultant, a brother in arms, and co-author of a new book called Social Marketing to the Business Customer. Not only am I excited for you to meet Eric because he's just a super cool dude, but we're going to talk about content marketing. Content marketing is a new, you know, fairly new concept. And uh, I think if you have a lot of content or a complex product or a luxury brand or a B2B product that requires some explanation, anything that isn't a simple consumer packaged good that requires a lot of explanation can work really well in content marketing. Of course, as can information products. And I'm sure Eric will tell me that consumer packaged goods might work too. So uh, let's get him on the line and welcome him hi Eric hi
1: Susan thanks for having me
0: oh my god are you kidding me it's my pleasure I can't be- Eric how come we've never done a dishy mix together before
1: well gosh you know I've been listening for so long <laughs> I appreciate that uh, you know that. from the days of the uh, portable media expo and- oh
0: lord you're dating us man
1: the the downloadable media society yeah
0: world, association for association for downloadable yeah. media one of my sure. failed endeavors <laughs> one of the long list of things i did that was a flop <laughs> turns out podcasters don't really care about making money you know well, for the most part
1: i'll tell you you know i you, you've been doing this uh for a while now so have i, I know. and uh, i think we're both doing pretty well actually
0: well, I would never give up my dishy mix. I really love it. It creates countless opportunities for me in a lot of different ways. Um, but let's not talk about that. I really want to get into content marketing. It's all the rage. I love it. And I want you to, first of all, explain what content marketing is and why this new concept you think is so powerful that it's really a big focus of yours now.
1: Well, uh, so the first thing is, um, I don't actually think it's that powerful. I think it's somewhat powerful. Okay. Um, but, but I want to start the conversation with content marketing because I think it's a subject people can get their arms around. It makes a lot of sense, the idea that you would somehow create content designed to get found by people who have a certain problem that your product or service can solve. Um, a couple of companies that do a very good job of it, uh, b and Photo in New York, Crutchfield which sells uh, uh, consumer stereo equipment. I mean, these are the types of companies that create all this really useful content and you wind up Googling, you know, outdoor speaker cables and they come up and they have an article about how to run your speaker wire outside and then you wind up, of course, buying the speakers from them because they gave you the information. And you know, the reason I say I think content marketing is so hot right now is one of the best-selling books in the category, you know, in our category, is a book by Anne Handley and C.C. Chapman called Content Rules. And it's just selling like hotcakes because it's a very straightforward concept, this idea that, oh, well, I'll create content that people need to make purchasing decisions and I'll search engine optimize it against not my brand name, but against buyer-oriented keywords, general keywords that someone might be searching when they're looking for answers. And then of course they'll find me and I'll get into their good graces by educating them and then hopefully they'll choose me when they want to make their purchase.
0: Now, a question for my tissue mix listeners that actually have a lot of already pre-written content. Let's talk about somebody who has that. Maybe a lot of email autoresponders or, you know, a lot of, of content that they've created that's housed in some, you know, location that they could have access to, that they could republish or repurpose as content in this content marketing strategy. What do you do? You've got this information. Are you doing article marketing? Are you putting it on your website? What are you? you doing? What is content marketing?
1: Well, when you think about how you're going to park the content online and find people, I generally tend to advocate a homeland embassy strategy, meaning that uh, you would park the content on your homeland, which could either be a blog at your domain or a website at your domain, but somewhere where you control the layout of the page rather than a place like Facebook or Twitter or, or YouTube, where you can park content But ultimately, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter are going to sell advertising to others against that content. So um, I think it makes a lot of sense to build embassies on social media channels because there's a lot of activity there and you can tap into those hot pockets of activity and hopefully invite people to your homeland. But the homeland is where you're gonna have less resistance translating awareness into a transaction. So you know, if I had a client with all this great content, what I'd do is I'd try to get them to park that content as close to the buy button as I could on their own domain. And then of course if they could figure out a way to take short pieces of that content, interstitial size, bite-sized pieces of that content, and make it available through other channels so that people could discover it there and then come back home to feast on the full meal. I think that makes more
0: sense. So then you would put all this content on your own website and you'd SEO optimize it so it could be discovered.
1: Yeah, you do that. And then you would also, you probably would move links in the right LinkedIn groups, right? Appropriate LinkedIn groups. Uh, You'd probably tweet them out. You'd probably park them on Facebook. Um, you know, get, get find the hot pockets of activity that exist already and try to move conversations that are already underway forward by obviously advancing the dialogue in, the, in a way that's constructive. You know, we've, we've heard it before. But I don't want to stop at content marketing because I think, you know, that's where we are right now. That's okay. where everybody, you know, is, is focused. But I think there are other opportunities beyond that that are getting less attention. I mean, if there's a few organizations out there kinda killing it in these other channels, but I do think it's the future of, of online marketing. I, I do not believe the future of online marketing is content marketing. Okay, what's the future? So there's two other approaches that we see gaining steam. They're much tougher, uh, they're much more risky, uh, but when you do it right, uh, they're more sustainable. And the first would be you know community management. Uh, rather than you know trying to tent-pole some sort of a conversation or trying to create content that would get found by somebody, you would instead create some sort of an environment where customers could educate customers, peer-to-peer. Um, example would be SAP's community network. I don't know if you've, you've heard about it, but they've got this B2B social network, which is branded. It's their own little network. You have to be approved to get into it. They've got two million members, um, highly active community, and Essentially, they're making a market for their products and services without, without propelling that conversation through marketing or direct sales. You've got system integrators talking to other system integrators, customers talking to customers, and they're making a market by self-educating.
0: Communities are a big, big commitment. What do you think it costs for the average company to build a community? What platforms do you like, and how many people does it take to man it on the low side and the high side?
1: Well, I can tell you for SAP, um, and there's actually a chapter in our book about choosing platforms. Uh, because I, I do believe that the most important strategic decision any online marketer makes is the platform they choose to host their community or their environment or their website. Uh, because there's nothing more disruptive than migrating from one platform to another. Um, uh, but, but having said that, I know at SAP, They've got four uh, full-time community managers that are 25% allocated to managing the community. And, uh, you know, beyond that, the community pretty much manages itself. Uh, the community manager's jobs are, they call themselves farmers. Their job is to weed out the off-topic conversations and fertilize the on-topic conversations. Um, in terms of the, what they're using to host, they're using Jive. Uh, which you've probably heard of is a popular platform that you can skin and use use to drive a, a custom branded social network. Um, and for them, I think it makes sense. I don't think necessarily that makes sense for everyone because you could have a community on Facebook as well. You could have a community on LinkedIn. You don't necessarily need a private branded white label social network. But I certainly think you know the prospect of creating some sort of a community where peers can educate peers Uh, is a lot more sustainable than content marketing because something like that is not going to be directly tied to the amount of content that you feed into the system, right? People are going to be able to educate each other once they've found each other in perpetuity. So, you know, it's going to pay greater dividends. It's not directly tied to the amount of content that you create because other people create the content.
0: Now, you said when we started that content marketing was something that was a lot of people are doing now and that you had two things that you said were really uh, newer. You said tougher, riskier, yet more sustainable. And one of them was community. What was the other one?
1: So the other approach, which I think is just starting to gain some steam, and we've heard uh, the folks at LinkedIn talk about it before their IPO, is this idea of automated social media marketing. And... um to explain it to you, uh, consider uh, you know these, I don't know if you, if you were at South by Southwest this last year. I know you go frequently. Did you go this last year? I did not. Okay. So, so, once you were registered to attend South by Southwest, you had access to a section of the event website called My South by Southwest, or maybe it was South by Social. Yeah, it was South by Social. And once you went into South by Social, you could put in uh, your Twitter ID. You could put in your LinkedIn ID and you could put in your Facebook ID and it would search and see if any other registered attendees were also your Facebook friends or your LinkedIn friends. So that's very useful, right? Because we go to these conferences, there's tons of people there. We want to make sure we have a chance to hook up with people we know, deepen our relationships. We go there to network, so we want to try to network as many people as we can. But, you know, it's always sort of uh, happenstance of whether or not we're actually gonna run into the people that we know who are there, and often you go to an event and you come back and you run into somebody and say, oh, I was there, I was there too. Oh, we should've got together, but we didn't know we were there. So they offered this tool, actually, it was through a company called Janrain, and it was called Social Sync. And by allowing you to synchronize your social networks with their conference attendees, you got that sort of that discovery right? That's automated. South by Southwest's marketing team doesn't have to do anything to be relevant to me for that to be meaningful and to be valuable to me. And now I'm gonna have a better experience at the conference and chances are I'm gonna share that experiences with others. Um, another cool example of this Janrain platform which offers what they call contact management for the social web. They integrated with Lady Gaga's website. So you go to Lady Gaga's website, and in the upper right hand corner it says log in with Facebook. You may have seen it on other sites, log in with Twitter, log in with Google. Once you log in with Facebook, right, you've not only given them your personal information from your profile, you've also recommended that website on your newsfeed to your Facebook friends, right? And you're now following that page, so they have a cons- they have a persistent uh, connection with you. So think back in the days of RSS, right, and the headache of having to actually, you know, copy and paste an RSS feed into an RSS reader. Now, by just clicking a like button or log in with Facebook or log in with Twitter, it essentially becomes a form of like subscription or RSS, but that people actually use. And of course you've wound up recommending this page to your friends in your newsfeed, which is probably why, you know, Facebook is valued at 50 billion, this idea of scaling the social web, you know, not one to many, but one to one to many, right? You recommend it to me and I recommend it to my friends. One of my friends recommends it to their friends and so on and so forth. Um, I have more examples of this uh, uh, sort of automation which uh, have captured my, my fancy lately. I noticed there's a little company that just got funding up in Silicon Valley. Actually, a misstatement. I think they're in San Francisco. But the name of the company is called Double Dutch. And they've got this skinnable mobile app that you can use for events. And Cisco took it uh, and they, they, they skinned it for Cisco events. You can now download it for iPhone or download it for Android and It essentially allows you to social network via mobile at an event and of course you can publish any of those shares out to Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter as well. You can check in locally or you can check in on Foursquare. Now, at first glance you may think of this and think, well my gosh, what's the point? People have Twitter already. Well, there's some very real challenges that event organizers have. Um, If you are doing strategic corporate events And you have a need to train people, get people trained in new technology at that event or trained to be able to sell something at those events. You want people attending the sessions. You don't want them hanging out in the bar, right? So, one of the things you could use with a, uh, you could do with a mobile device like this is you could put a QR code up on the screen at the beginning and at the end of every session. And of course, in order to prove that you attended the session, you'd have to be able to collect both of those codes and store them. Um, so there'd be no fake check-ins, or let's say, for example, it's a conference organizer that's always trying to drive traffic to the exhibitors. Right? That's always a challenge. We've got the sessions, we've got the exhibitors. We want people to attend the exhibit, to, to visit the exhibitors, or they're not going to be able to, you know, underwrite the costs of of our seminar, of our conference. Well, you could use QR codes, and people could actually check in with the QR codes using this little app. And I've, I've been testing it for probably three weeks now, and I'm, I'm blown away with, with how well it works, how solid it is. But what also is interesting to me is, I have a lot of friends on Facebook, I have a lot of friends on Twitter. I think I was reading an Ad Age, Steve Rubell was writing that um, uh, you know, in the sort of arms race, to gather as many friends and followers as, as we can, we wound up with these communities that are not so useful and sometimes very difficult to tame. But what happens is, you know, once you take that community and you look at it through a specific lens, say the lens of the Cisco Events mobile app, now I can see who in that community is interested in Cisco or is interested in that area of interest. And it reminds me, you know, I I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, but I went to film school and uh, studied, you know, the history of narrative film. And if you think back about, you know, when film first appeared, they basically would take a shot of a locomotive, you know, coming towards the camera. And that was it. You know, that was sort of it. Wow, a moving image. Isn't it incredible? And then this guy in uh, Russia, Sergei Eisenstein, started to actually juxtapose images together. So he'd take a picture of someone's face and then, you know, a storm or a picture of someone's face and a gun. And he sort of found that when you compare, when you put pieces of information together, right, meaning is derived. We look at it and we see meaning. I think we're moving into the sort of semiotics montage phase of social media now. We started where it was LinkedIn and it was Facebook. But now we're starting to realize that when we compare data sets, right, when we overlay them and we look at them through different lenses, that's where the meaning derives. Mm-hmm. And two examples of this with LinkedIn. Um, you know, most people look at LinkedIn today, which is their new feature that allows you to look at news based on different industries. As well, why would I want that? I have enough places to get my news. What's interesting about it is the news is being basically curated and edited based on the profile information of my LinkedIn community. Right? So now, it's not so much about having the community and messaging the community and you know, sharing on groups. It's about using that profile information to, to, to get better insight and, and better information. Another example is a service that they launched, which a lot of people don't know about, called LinkedIn Signal. And if you just go to your LinkedIn uh, profile page, you go right below LinkedIn Today, there's actually on the right-hand side, just to the left of the advertisers on, advertisements in the right-hand column, a little search button. And if you click that search button and put in a keyword, assuming you've sunk up your Twitter with your LinkedIn, you can now search Twitter based on the profile information of the LinkedIn community. Right. So now, it's not just Twitter, it's not just LinkedIn, it's the two together.
0: Give me an example of how you've recently used that.
1: So I'm doing some work for a plastics company right now. Um, They're a major supplier of uh, raw materials to the plastic trade. I'll tell you, Susan, I don't know anyone in the plastics industry. It's not my world. I don't know the first thing about it. But I do have 1,500 contacts on LinkedIn. Um, Because I have synchronized my Twitter with my LinkedIn, if I go in to LinkedIn and search injection molding, I see friends of friends in that business. I see them at different companies. I see them in different parts of the world. And now I can start to network through my contacts to expand my contacts to, to that area where I want to build relationships. And that's incredibly powerful. The shares that I'm finding are not shares that were made on LinkedIn. They're shares that were made by other linkedin users who have synchronized their twitter with their linkedin
0: that totally makes sense thank you
1: so in essence it becomes a, another lens right by by overlaying linkedin right which is blue a primary color over twitter which is yellow a private a primary color i get green and that's a complementary color right and that's the idea of montage right that the sum that the result is greater than the sum of its parts, right? You put these elements together and you get more out of it. And I think that's where we're headed. We're headed into this area uh, of of being able to get a better psychographic and demographic profile of our customers than ever before. Not based on how old they are or where they live or the color of their skin, and what they like and on what groups they're members of, right? And what they share and how many followers they have. It's a whole new world and I think the potential is really exciting.
0: You are... So eloquent. I adore listening to you and uh, you have the floor. I want to ask you a question. Um, what, what you were really talking about was the integration of multiple social graphs to dive deeper into information. But you'd started out by talking about automating social media marketing. You use Jan Rain and Double Dutch as examples of that. And it brought to mind another concept that's automating content marketing in a way. Are you familiar with Chase McMichaels and his company Infinigraph? I am not. Okay. So this is another one you might be interested in. Um, What Chase does is essentially curate content. So let's just say um, a brand has a, a Facebook audience or a Twitter audience. He finds out what those people are talking about, what they're tweeting about or writing about or whatever it might be. And then he says, Mr. Brand, these are the other things that people who like you or follow you are connected to you these are the other conversations that are happening in their world these are the other things that that they care about and so uh, you could make a really easy analogy with like um, a diaper company and other baby related things right so instead of just talking about diapers you're talking about other baby related things and what he does is find um other feeds, maybe they're Twitter feeds, maybe they're some other kind of feed. He's using feeds in RSS to, I hope I'm explaining this right, to essentially bring more content into your feeds as a brand that is tangentially and associated with the conversations that your customers are having. So when you are tweeting things out or posting things or blogging about things or whatever it might be, you're talking about other stuff your people like, which means they feel like you get them better. And you're providing more of a service because you're not just focused on your own brand. You're focused on the things your followers care about. I think that's interesting. What do you think?
1: I think it's interesting too, but you know, I, I wonder if we are moving into a phase where marketing actually—the the act of you know procuring new business leads—becomes less important. I, I'll, I'll tell you my, what I'm thinking here. Um, you know, as organizations become more digitally literate, and you know, for those of us that are listening to this podcast, you know, I would say we're probably in the bubble. And so, you know, we, there's, we don't need to share basic information among ourselves. But, you know, as, as you know, uh, you know, when you get outside the bubble, things change a little bit. People think they may get this stuff and then often they don't, right? Um, and it seems to me the shortest path to socializing an organization is first taking the time to determine what can be said in public and what needs to be kept in private, Uh, coming up with some sort of formal guidelines so everyone in the organization understands what can be public and what should be private, and then letting people use these channels to get their job done if it's public information. Because, you know... If I take a call, if I'm a salesperson and I take a call from someone and I'm an expert and I spend 15, 20 minutes on the phone with them convincing them that I'm an expert and selling them my product and closing the sale, really the only value I have from that activity is that one sale. Whereas if I had performed that via digital media, if that conversation had occurred in a digital environment that's discoverable and shareable, right? Right then I would be leaving behind some sort of digital breadcrumb that would pay dividends beyond that conversation. And so I think, you know, the more we see recruiting, logistics, R&D, really all facets of business that can be performed via social, the more companies do that, the more marketing just becomes a byproduct of using those channels.
0: Yes, it's difficult to ask companies to do a lot of that work. I think companies are still worried about privacy. (laughs) and keeping their information to themselves, you know?
1: I agree, but, I mean, we are in an environment here where, you know, the strategy of defending and locking down the fortress is unrealistic. I mean, we have seen now the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.S. Department of State be challenged by WikiLeaks. Uh, You know, there are countless high-profile stories of organizations buckling under the pressure of social media. I mean, Just last week, Burson Marsteller tries to run a smear campaign uh, for their client Facebook via email and they get pummeled. Or Comcast tries to pull funding from Real Girls because they put out a tweet that's critical of their hiring of uh, former FCC commissioner and they get pummeled as well. You know, or or Overstock and JCPenney, uh, you know, practice Black Hat SEO and they get manually demoted in the search ranks. I mean, digital illiteracy, particularly in the C-suite, is it's everywhere right now. So, I mean, uh, I think the only, the only practical way of getting from there to a place that's sustainable is basically saying to everybody, look, we know you use Facebook. We realize it's part of your life. Uh, we're not going to you know block our network from accessing it because we realize you're 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 using it anyways and by the way, we expect you to turn around emails weekends and nights, so isn't it only fair that you can use Facebook here? I mean the reason they block social media is because they haven't taken the time to say what can and can't be done because they don't want. Put, they put. They don't. First of all, they don't have the 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 ability or education to be able to set those boundaries. But two, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to be able to pounce when they want to pounce and look the other way when they want to look the other way. And I think ultimately that's going to hurt them with recruiting. It's going to hurt them with uh, you know keep retaining talent. All you can do if you can't lock down the fortress is equip the troops to maneuver in the field. And you do that through guidelines and you do that through training.
0: Is there a location that you'd recommend we could find some good standard guidelines? Anyone publish anything that you recommend?
1: You know, I actually wrote the policy for Edison and was part of the team that wrote the policy for the Marine Corps, and I actually published uh, a template uh, you know, have your lawyer look at it, but I mean, this is everything's covered here. If you want to pull it down, it's socialmediapolicytemplate.com. dot com. Be a good place to start. Also, um, my friend Chris Boudreau has the uh, what does he call it? Uh, social media policy website where he runs a database with links to social media policies. Mine's there, but there are others there too. Um, so that'd be a good place to start. Thank you. Uh, but but you know the hard part, Susan, with policy is not the policy. The hard part is educating the stakeholders who are going to approve the policies. That they know what shouldn't shouldn't be in it, right? You've got to build a stakeholder community, which includes representatives from all the major departments, and you've got to educate them. And you can't educate them by telling them how well they're going to be able to market through these channels. You've got to tell them how this affects them. How does it affect the legal department? How does it affect HR? How does it affect the C-suite? How does it affect R&D? And that's a lot of work, right? It can be done, but you're only going to get a half an hour to make your case, so you better be prepared.
0: Thank you for that. I'm going to move on to another question because I know we're almost out of time. We can only expect people to listen to us so much, no matter how fascinating you are, Eric. I have three things I want to ask you. and uh, The first thing I want to know is, who did you write your book for, Social Marketing to the Business Customer? Who is it really targeted to within a B2B selling organization?
1: So it's really targeted to anyone who cares about reaching business customers. And the reason that we wrote it, uh, Paul and I found that, you know, when we're out there speaking, when we're out there uh, leading workshops, a common question we get, somebody raises their hand and says, hey, I get Facebook and 600 million people. I understand it's important, but I sell air conditioning parts. How does this apply to me? Or you know, I sell wind turbine bearings or whatever, right? How does this apply to me? And um, we actually looked on Amazon, we looked around, and we said there wasn't a single book specifically about how B2Bs can use social media to communicate with a select audience of specialized customers, buyers of specialized products and services. And so um, we, uh, we uh, contacted a publisher, uh, in this case Wiley, and they uh, publish a lot of books about social media, but there wasn't a single title just about B2B. Uh, We both have a good amount of experience helping B2Bs, so that's why we decided to write it.
0: Thank you. Um, Tell me about your particular, uh, if someone wanted to hire you, why would they hire you? And what kind of business relationships are you looking for right now?
1: Well, typically the type of customer that hires me is the type of customer that wants uh, senior level advice from someone who isn't going to provide the actual service. And that can be tough to to come by, because if you go with an agency, they can sometimes recommend things that they do. And so you wonder, hey, are they just saying I should do this because they have a division that does this, or is this really the way I should go? So what I do is I augment existing teams Uh, on the agency side and the client side. As a subject matter expert, I work on strategy. I do a lot of policy work, and I do a lot of training. And I would say my sweet spot is, is B2B and enterprise.
0: Perfect. Thanks for that. Very well said. Last question you were going to talk about marketing with data and give me a couple of case studies of organizations like, well, people that are using social automation. I want to come back to the kind of social automation content marketing conversation just to close off our, our uh, talk today. Uh, you'd mentioned Lady Gaga, Amazon and Hoover's. Could you pick maybe one or two of those because we have limited time or even just talk about them collectively and what they're doing in a way that shows us directionally what you think is the right thing to do?
1: Well, I think the Amazon example is, is fascinating, so let's use that one. Um, when you go to Amazon now, you can go to My Amazon and you can sync up your Amazon with your Facebook. When you do that, you'll get a Request for Permission screen that will ask for access to your extended information. If you approve that request, what you get is a calendar with all your friends' birthdays and recommendations of things to buy them on their birthday based on their profile information. So books by authors that they've acknowledged that they are their favorites. Uh, you know, albums by artists that they have cited as their favorite artists. So it's, it's pretty straightforward, right? It's, it's not too difficult to understand, but now Amazon is really taking that information, automating it, and making it useful. Uh, on the B2B side, there's a deal now between Hoovers, which is the preeminent B2B prospecting database of contacts, and LinkedIn. Um, First, Hoover's launched a iPhone app called Near Here, which allows you to look at companies uh, in your proximity, uh not just by you know revenue or category but also you know who's closest to you i mean god only knows in on the b2b side sales reps go to markets and they may be you know passing right by another stop they could have made but they just didn't have that information so the the idea of having the proximity information is valuable but now they're integrating linkedin so you know once you know who's in your proximity you can network through your existing contacts to get the meeting rather than have to cold call so here we see you know two ways that you know automation you know makes itself useful in the field of marketing
0: nice i love those examples and i wasn't aware of them so thank you you've really uh divulged a lot of new little things that uh i want to go check out and i really appreciate that uh you're very fresh eric
1: well thank you very much i mean coming from you that's huge I'm, i'm a regular listener i get so much out of this show um, you know, you're keeping me in the gym. So thank you.
0: Oh, God, I wish I was keeping myself in the gym. Well, uh, Eric, I'm going to give away a copy of your book to my Dishy Mix fans. If you go to Facebook and search on Dishy Mix, you'll find my fan page. And I'll give one lucky winner a copy of Social Marketing to the business customer. Listen to your B2B market, generate major account leads, and build client relationships. And, and I'm going to
1: sweeten the deal. I'm going to oh, sweeten the deal. Okay? Sweeten
0: it. All right, go ahead.
1: The winner also gets a one-hour conference call with me.
0: Oh, that's super sweet. Thank you so much. Well, that will be an action-packed conference call. I have a feeling people are going to be fighting me over that. So, uh, I well, the best way to do it is to post on the Dishy Mix page you know, that you'd like to the book and that you would like if you want the book at the book if you want the one hour consulting call one hour
1: brain picking session
0: <laughs> there you go uh you can have one or both ask for what you need maybe we'll split them up maybe we'll give them both to one person we'll figure it out uh just go to dishy mix on facebook and post your desire and eric and i'll pick a lucky winner awesome eric thank you so much for everything what website do you want people to come to if they want to learn more about you
1: so, um, if you go to ericschwartzman.com, uh, you can get a link to my blog, link to my podcast, or a link to the professional services that I provide.
0: Excellent. And that's S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-M-A-N. It has all the letters in it and no extras.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. If you're from the Midwest, you typically pronounce my name Schwartzman. And uh-huh. then if you're from, from the coast, then you say Schwartzman. What do you say? I say Schwartzman. Short it's fun. like you know, you get outside of uh, the cities, and uh, you know, people say, "Oh, let me have some of that, uh, some of that swag." Yeah, it's actually not swag; it's swag.
0: Swag. You swag. know,
1: people stuff we all get. You know, people get confused between swa and cha, sh- and it's. I think it's. Uh, you know, it's a. It's a tribal thing.
0: There you go. Well, I like swag and schwag and Schwartzman. I like you, Eric. Thank you for coming on Dishy Mix. It's been super great to have you. You're a brilliant and delightful man, and you've given so much to us in this short amount of time. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. All right. I'm your host, Susan Bratton. and I hope you've enjoyed that. Go post your desire on the Dishy Mix fan page, and we'll get you some good stuff like an hour of consulting with Eric Schwartzman. That might be the most amazing thing I've ever given away. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for giving us your time today. And I hope we'll connect with you again next week. Take care. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.